pray with me? Our Father and our God, thank you for the fact that you have saved us and you love us and you have called us to holiness and have given us everything we need to live that way. Lord, thank you and we praise you. You've called us in your scripture to be holy because you are holy. Lord, I pray that you will teach us today, instruct us from your, from your text, help us to, to know and understand what we need to do, how we uh, need to participate in what you want to accomplish in our lives. And we know, Lord, that you want us to benefit fully from everything that we have been given in salvation. And I pray that you will help us, strengthen us. Lord, I pray that um, you will move in all of our hearts today. To not be satisfied where we are, but to desire, O oh Lord, to um, experience all that we can have in this walk of life as a follower of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Near the end of Jesus' teaching time with his disciples... He was sharing with them that he was going to be leaving, and their hearts were troubled. In John 14, he uh, stated this to them, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Today is really a sequel to what we talked about last week in so many ways. We talked about Christ's um, statement on what a true follower of Christ really is. One who denies himself or herself and takes up their cross and follows Christ. We looked at that last week, and in, in every way, what the Apostle Paul has to say for us today from Ephesians chapter 5 is really a practical sequel. What does that look like? The, the disciples were, were concerned that Christ was leaving them, and he made this bold promise, and something, of course, that, that humanity had never experienced before. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not, it, it, in fact, it's really to your benefit that I go away, because... If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. The Comforter will not come to you. Their relationship with Jesus at the time he was with them on this earth was limited to location. Wherever he was, they had to be. This was going to be a new, bold, and exciting new proposition whereby Jesus would be with his people no matter where they were, no matter what time it was, any place in the world or, for that matter, flying above the world. Jesus was promising the benefit, the full benefit of knowing him by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. The, the great promise of his presence, though, and the benefits of his presence are rarely fully experienced by God's people. Paul talks about it in his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.18, whereby he says, keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's experiencing the full benefit of Christ in our lives. So today we want to get really practical, and I want you to turn in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. We want to look at that. Uh, we want to, um, to answer the questions, well, what does it look like to have Jesus really come to us and to really experience all that we can experience from that relationship with Christ? Ephesians chapter 5, how do I get from being indwelt by the Spirit of God to filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, um, as, as an old science guy, I, I used to really, and I still find myself, uh, most comfortable with formulas. Uh, it seems just simple equations for me make the most sense. If you add this to this, you get that. And uh, that works for me. 
And uh, interestingly enough, I think we're going to be able to, to work this in, in, and I'll show you in a few moments, that, that the Word of God has really promised us a formula to experience all that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about some of the game-changing formulas in life that, that uh, many of us ha- uh, have know or have studied or whatever. And so just have a little interaction time for a moment, see how smart you are or how not smart you are, whichever you prefer to reveal. And uh, so, so feel free to, to interact. And um, so some of the game-changing formulas, very popular formulas. The first one is um, this one. Uh, what is this formula? Do you know? The Pythagorean formula. Very good. Which, uh, for those of you who don't know what that is, you can, if you have a right angle triangle, or right, yeah, right angle triangle, uh, by this equation, if you square the, the distance of the one side and add it to the square of the distance of the other side, you will get the square of the distance of the long crooked side. That's in kind of layman description. Pythagorean theorem. The next is this. What's that? It's the formula that really marks off the theory of relativity, right? Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. We all need to know this. (laughs) Believe it or not, this matters in your life. The next is... Somebody said food in the first service. (laughs) It's pi, yes. Pi equals the circumference divided by the diameter. Uh, Pi, by the way, is one of those weird numbers. You never really get to it. It's 3.14, I think, but then, like, you can Google it and get 10,000 numbers after that or more. So that's pi. Next, got any bankers here this morning? I won't put them on the spot. I know who they are. This is the formula that determines... Am I hearing it? Amortization. This is how bankers decide how much money they want to rip out of your pocket when they lend you some money. (laughs) It's an important theory. It's an important uh, formula to know. Next. This is the... Formula that determines gender. X plus X equals XX, which is a girl. X plus Y equals XY, which is a boy. Always has been, always will be. Can I get an amen? Yes, I got a few of them. Yes, yes. Okay, good. Gender determination. This one? Shameless formula. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, this is the hockey IQ formula. <laughs> All right, enough of that. It's time to get back to the Bible. Here's the formula for today. Here it is. The indwelling Holy Spirit plus the filling of the Holy Spirit equals fully benefiting from the promise of Jesus' permanent presence in you. This is probably the most important formula that you will ever have. In fact, um, Gordon Fee, the Pentecostal scholar, said that this is the ultimate important command in all of Paul's writings. That's a pretty lofty statement. Of all the things Paul has written, he states that this alone is the ultimate imperative in all of Paul's writings. That's a lofty, lofty declaration. So here we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit equals fully benefit. Now, there's a lot of confusion, by the way, in trying to understand or determine what that formula even means. And I hope to simplify it for you today, and I hope to take you to the text and show you what it looks like in your life, because if Fee is right and I 
have no reason to disagree with him. And this is the ultimate imperative of Paul's writings. And this is how you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, fully benefit from the asset of having Jesus in your life. It's, it's important, don't you think? It really is. So um, let's dig into this. I want to read a text. Let's read the text of the scripture. And then um, I want to uh, back us up a little bit and look at some foundational truths so we can distinguish the difference between indwelling and filling and then launch. I want to look particularly today at Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 21. Be very careful then how you live. How's that for a starting statement? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's leave it right there. So let's talk about, first of all, some foundational facts concerning the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is not going to be exhaustive. It can't be. It would take the rest of the day to be exhaustive, giving a doctrinal uh, position on the Holy Spirit. But let's just look at a couple of things. Number one, every believer, one time, passively and permanently, receives the indwelling Holy Spirit with the gracious gift of salvation. Jesus promised this in the reading that I just gave you in John, John 14. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Paul basically states there that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not a believer. And, of course, in Ephesians 1.13. Now, this is not experiential in that it's done to believers, not by believers. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, Christ indwelt you permanently. With his spirit. Secondly, every believer is one time passively and permanently baptized by the Holy Spirit at salvation into Christ and into the body of Christ. This also is not experiential, is done to believers, not by the believer. So we talk about the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God. We talk about the baptism of the Spirit. These two events occur at salvation for every believer. If you are not placed in Christ, you are not a believer. If you are not placed in the body of Christ, you're not a believer. These two things occur at salvation. Now, since you have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, and since you have been baptized into Christ and into the body of Christ, now Paul is talking in the text we just read of another ministry of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is commanded to be active in continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians 5.18. It's a command it's conditional upon certain behavior on your part and my part. It's to be continual. It is experiential. Action is required by the believer. Now this sets us up for some doctrinal distinction, but we want to put some meat on the bones of what it really means and what it really look, looks like to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I mean, if this is our responsibility to be engaged in this, we need to know what this is all about. So, that's where today's uh, um, text comes in. The doctrine of the filling of the Holy Spirit. As we move forward in our discipleship, uh, certain kind uh, of uh, disciple, as we move through now into the 
second half of our series that we began in the spring. By the way, tonight we're going to be celebrating the Lord's table uh, at 6 o'clock sharp. So if you're coming out tonight, don't be late or you'll miss communion. So get here at 6 o'clock. The doctrine of the filling of the Holy Spirit, how to fully benefit, in other words, from Jesus. Don't you want to do that? I mean, isn't that something that you want? By the way, this is not some sort of optional, this would be nice. Wouldn't it be really nice to benefit from Jesus? And, and uh, I'm not throwing it out there as some sort of option because Paul doesn't throw it as an option. It's an imperative. An imperative is a... Uh, stay with me in the interactive thing. I don't want you to doze off. It's a command. Don't be afraid. I've never kicked anybody out of the room yet from giving the wrong answer. It's a command. It's not an option. We are commanded to enjoy the full benefits of Jesus. Okay. So, what's, what's it look like? Well, I, I want to first of all look at sort of the far context of all of this. There's some things that, that need to come into our understanding and shape our lives um, in the far context. So, turning back in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, for instance, Paul says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I'm urging you to live a life worthy of of the calling you have received. You, you need to, we all need to come to terms with the fact that, that we've been gifted the faith and gifted salvation and, and gifted a way of living that changes everything and it should matter to us and we should want to live a life that is worthy of that calling. Then down in verse 30 of the same chapter it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't ch choose to sin and, and so grieve the Holy Spirit in your lives. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, be imitators of God. What does that look like? Living a life of love. This is the atmosphere that, that sort of sets up the filling of the Spirit in your life. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 5, it talks about how we interact with one another, what you're like when you're with the boys, what you're like when you're, you're at the factory or, or at the marketplace, you know? Are you people who are talking... Uh, uh, impure, in impure ways, ob obscene ways, foolish talk, coarse joking. There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed or because of, uh, of these are improper for God's holy people. We should be living and speaking pure lives. It matters how you live in terms of experiencing what it is to have the filling of the Spirit in your life. In, in verse 10 of chapter 5, it says, Find out what pleases the Lord. Live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Study God in his book. If you want to know what pleases God, he's told you right here. Learn what pleases God. Set up your life and the atmosphere of your life and how you live in a way that pleases God. If you want to fully benefit from Jesus, there's a certain atmosphere you have to create around your life. And Paul talks about it here in in, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so that sets us up in sort of the far context. But then he zeroes in on this section that we looked at this morning, read this morning, in the near context of Christian behavior that is the kind of behavior that will experience the filling of the Spirit of God. So um, we've looked at a scan of your body, and now we're going to take a biopsy, right? We're going to dig around and take a look at what's really going on in your heart. Because that's what Paul is doing right here. And, and he sets it up this way by saying, be very careful then how you live. And he gives three knots. Not unwise, not foolish, and not drunk on wine. And then he says, and understanding that, be filled with the Spirit. So, the, the first is, is with respect to this issue of wisdom. Brothers and sisters, do you really know what time it is? I mean, really, do we really, really know what time it is in our lives? Because Paul says here, the days are evil. Do we really understand that, that Satan is at war with the gospel and with you and with your family? Do, do we understand that it is open season on the gospel and on you and your family. I mean, if we really understood that the, the urgency of the hour and the open season reality, dads, I'm, I'm speaking to you now in terms of being responsible for your families. It is open season on your family. 
by the evil one. And, and that means there's a certain expectation of how to live. He says, don't live unwise in light of the days that you're living in. Rather, be wise. And, and how? Um, make, every, make the most of every opportunity. I think here he's telling us, all of us, to be wise time stewards. Wise in the use of our time. Uh, time goes by, life goes by like a vapor. It just does. Um, you know, we, we, here we are, it's another fall season. It just seemed like we were doing this a couple of months ago. And here it is, it's around again. The summer just whipped by, did it not? The winter will crawl. The summer flies by. But time goes by so quickly. In other words, he's saying here, minimize waste. Make the most of your time. I, I, would, I see this as maximizing righteous opportunism. Well, what do you mean by that? I, I would take maximize righteous opportunism and I bring it down to one word. Ministry. Make the most of all your time. We fritter away so much time. We waste so much time. He's saying that the days are evil. It's open season on your family and on your life. You can't afford to take any time off of, 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 of the atmosphere of my powerful presence in your life. You, you can't afford not to be filled with the Spirit in light of what time it is. In other words, he's saying here. You know, I've been pastoring long enough, and, and, um, and this whole make the most use of your time, uh, you know, everybody's busy. Anybody here not busy? Nobody wants to admit they're not busy, because we're busy. Everybody's busy, busy, busy. So when you read something like this, make the most of your time, say, wow, I'm so busy. Well, yeah, and I, you know, I've been pastoring long enough that, that, that I've... I've encountered this sort of stewardship of time issue and people notice that the, they need to strategize their time and regularly the first thing they come to me and say is, you know, I, I've got to, I've gotta, um, I'm so busy, I've, I, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull back from ministry and guess what I'm going to do? And, and, and you know what, I, I always say that, you know, basically in my mind I'm thinking, you don't have to tell me what the next re the reason is, because it's always the same thing. Because my reason is, I need to spend more time with my family. And that sounds like a really godly reason to pull out a ministry, yeah? Uh, do we all really think here that what Paul is saying here about using your time wisely is to take your gift that you've been given at salvation in order to build up the body and remove that from your occupation. Is that what we really think that Paul is saying here? I, I think not. I, I, I think that the time we waste watching TV, the time we waste in recreation, the time we waste in entertainment, maybe needs to be the first to go in terms of maximizing opportunistic righteousness and the filling of the Spirit of God. You were saved, brothers and sisters, and given a gift or gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. That is not what should be jettisoned from your life first. In fact, that shouldn't be jettisoned from your life ever. So, after the service, all of you are going to go upstairs with Pastor Kelvin and Pastor Jim. And if you're not serving somewhere, you're going to say, how can I serve? Because I understand being filled with the Spirit of God is directly related to opportunistic use of time. Why, he says, because the days are evil. Your family needs parenting that prioritizes the living God. Your children... Fathers need to see men, their father, opportunistically using the time wisely to stave off the open season on your family's life by the evil one, because the days are evil. It says the second, second uh, 
point here he makes is um, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Uh, filling of the Holy Spirit seems sensible to all of us, and all he's saying here is saturate every facet of your life in the Lord. I, I would say daily choices to chase after the will of the Lord, or momentary, momentary choices to chase after the will of the Lord are characteristic of those who are filled with the Spirit of God, who desire to be filled with the Spirit, desire to benefit from everything that Jesus has to offer us. In other words, we don't live randomly, we live intentionally. We set our course and our direction, our big direction in life after the will of God. We ask the questions, what does the Lord want me to do in this matter and in that matter? What does the Lord want me to think about this or to think about that? Uh, many of us say, well, yeah, I, I always search out the Lord in big decisions in my life. I, I always make sure I search out. Listen, do you know how you get to a big decision? A, a big decision is gotten to by a series of small decisions. Making the small right decisions is critical to making the good big decisions. When uh, many of us now, when we go on a journey, we plug into our GPS where the destination is. I do that. But I regularly want to veer off and like get an ice cream cone or something, go off journey. And I have this annoying lady's voice on the GPS who, as soon as I go off course, says, as soon as possible, turn around. And she won't shut up. It's like, okay, I, like already, you know? And it's on and on and on. Because if you make a wrong turn and you keep making wrong turns, you're not going to end up at the destination. And the will of the GPS is that you should get to the right destination. He's not going to hear about listening to the Lord. He's talking about making certain that in all of these small turns, these veers off the course, you listen to the Lord, who's not an annoying voice, by the way, who says, as soon as possible, turn around. And you ought to turn around as quick as you can or turn left or right when he says turn left or right. Daily choices to listen to God. Jesus, by the way, saved you to take you somewhere. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's taking you somewhere. There's a third thing here, he says, and it's do not get drunk on wine, whereas, which leads to debauchery. Now, by the way, you need to know, if you don't, that in Ephesus, where he was writing, it was party central. The Ephesians were characterized by their booze, and their brothels, and their evil spirits. So when we're talking here in a text about, uh, about experiencing the benefits of the indwelling Holy Spirit, they knew about spirit. They knew about it in alcohol. They knew about it in evil spirits. They knew about it in brothels in terms of impure living. They knew, they, uh, Ephesus was a horrible place. And I don't think that... that um, I mean, the Bible speaks so much about the issues of the dangers of alcohol and all of that. Uh, and, and many would pause here and take a long, long talk about the, 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 the dangers of alcohol. The Ephesians, who he was writing, knew about the dangers. They had experienced them. They had been saved from those dangers. And Paul is saying, since you knew about it, you used to know what it was like to be under the influence of alcohol. It totally controlled the way you thought. It controlled the way you walked. It controlled the way you, the direction you went. It controlled everything. He's saying the filling of the Spirit is a, a control of your life in contrast to that kind of control. Paul's saying make no room in your life for substances to control you. Rather... Imbibe fully, immerse your life totally, drink deeply of Jesus all the time, and let him control your life 
so that how you think and how you walk and how you interact and, and, and where you go is Jesus controlling you. Make no room for control of substances. And then he gets to his big point, which is rather be filled with the Spirit. Now let me jump right in here and say this to you. If you find yourself this morning or you find yourself in a time of life where you are, uh, your, your walk is not worthy of the call of the Lord on your life, your spiritual life is stagnant, you, you, you have no sense of desire for the things of God, you're, you're, you're falling into temptation and giving over to sin and patterns of sin, but you, you, you know that you've come to know Jesus. You, you know that you, you, you love him and you, you know that, that the spirit of God has moved into your life. And you know that you've been baptized in the, into Christ, in the body of Christ. And you have this disconnect in your life and you can't explain what it is. Well, it's this. You're not presently filled with the spirit. And the call here is a command to be filled. The word plureo, which is a, the word for fill, has a lot of nuance. One is uh, um, basically being um, moved like a sail. In other words, to be filled with the Spirit of God is to be pushed along like a sailboat. It's, it's like God with the wind on your life and moving you forward. It's not you having to... to stir up your own interest in God, but God's moving you forward because you have immersed yourself in the things of God to such a degree, reading scripture, prayer, uh, good attendance at worship, and, and, and thinking on the things of God, making right choices, all that kind of stuff, and now God is actually pushing you, and you find yourself easily being moved along in the things of God. It's also, the word also means permeate. It's like salt permeating uh, uh, meat where it just, it just moves in and, 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 uh, and God, is, God is permeating every aspect of your life. You don't have it segmented off. Well, this is my God part of my life, and this is my not God part of the life. This is the thing that I show up in church with, but when I go to work, I'm kind of looking like that. No, the filling of the Spirit permeates all of your existence, all of your time, all of your life, everywhere you are. That's what filling of the Spirit is. And then, of course, of course we talked about controlled. We all know, we all know uh, when we say, oh, that person is filled with anger, or that person is filled with fear, we, we know what that kind of looks like or what that kind of means. That means that fear is controlling your life or anger is controlling your life or they're filled with bitterness. Bitterness is controlling your life. This is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is controlling your life. Now, what many of us are asking the question, okay, I get it, I understand the atmosphere. How could I know if I'm, be, if I'm being filled with the Spirit? What would that look like? So we have one command here in verse 18, and then verse 19, 20, and 21 are evidences. So we have the symptoms of the filling of the Spirit in our life. What would that look like? It shows up here in five participles, although unfortunately some of your modern translations turn things into commands that are not commands. For instance, verse 21 is not submit as a command. It's submitting. It's the participle of being filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, this is what it looks like. There's five of them. We'll quickly wind it up with this. Because this gives you uh, the absolute way you can take your soul up to a mirror and look at it and say, am I filled with the Spirit or not? There are five evidences. And by the way... It, it's really the unnatural becoming normal in your life, but not weird. Being filled with the Spirit's not weird, although it may be weird to, uh, to unbelievers. It's not, it's not weird things. It's useful things to the kingdom of God and to the body of Christ. And the first is, by, and by the way, the, uh, three of the five are related to music. I think that ought to be instructive to us. And it ought to explain something to us as well. Why Satan attacks music in the church. 
so much. Why is there so much trouble in the area of music in church? Well, let me think. Maybe because three of the five evidences of the filling of the Spirit are related to music? So here we go. Speaking, so be filled with the Spirit. Command. Here's the evidence. You will be speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's a contrast to coarse joking and obscenity and all of that kind of stuff. Rather, your interaction with each other will be psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, the word here, speaking, is um, really the word for sound or for chirping or grunting or... Um, uh, just noise in general. So some of you may be sitting here saying, I'm not really any good at music. Well, here's the good news. Can you chirp? (laughs) Can you grunt? Can you make noise? Can you make a joyful noise in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? And the answer is yes, you can. It's Filled with the Spirit, submissive of heart, plus scriptural content in your life, plus seeking the glory of God and not the glory of yourself, equals evidence of the filling of the Spirit in your life. That's what this is demonstrating here. It's promoting and stirring joy and praise. It's a heart outed for God. And then we move on to... um, Uh, singing and making music, the word ado, which is vocal praise, and salto, which literally means plucking. So for those of you who don't really appreciate the guitar in the church, I got news for you. God likes it. His word here, salto, is literally plucking music to the Lord. So if you don't like country western, God does, providing it's to him. Uh, Apparently, what what is really neat to see here is apparently uh, the Lord moves us to offer him music as evidence of the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you realize that? That's really, really important, that God loves music. And what you see here is that God actually moves into our lives and motivates us to give him back music, which he loves to listen to. You know, I, I, I regularly go, you know, whether I'm in this church or any other church, I, I regularly look around and see what's going on in music time. And I can tell you this, that this and this during music time is not a picture of the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Now, I understand there may be the odd song you just don't know. That's why we try to repeat songs regularly here so you get to know them. But once you've heard some songs a couple of times or whatever, you need to, you need to sing because the indwelling of the Spirit... By the way, you don't sing to be indwelt... Singing is evidence that you are being filled with the Spirit. Okay? So, remember I said to you, you're taking your heart out and you're holding up to a mirror and saying, Lord, would you please tell me, am am I being filled with the Spirit of God? And if you're like this, grouchy and grumpy during praise time, I'm telling you that the answer is no. You're not filled with the Spirit. Now, the first series, uh, the first group gave me a bit of an amen there. It's an amen moment. You're just grouchy and crabby and angry. (laughs) Don't be grouchy, crabby, and angry. When the Holy Spirit is filling your life, it bursts forth in praise and joy and, and singing and making music to the Lord, vocal and instrumental. He loves it. And then always giving thanks. Always giving thanks to God for everything. Now let's, let's not take this to, you know, am I thankful for Satan? No, I'm not. Here's what we're thankful for. We're thankful for even when bad things happen. As God's people, 
We are thankful that our God is in charge of our lives and that he loves us and will never leave us and will never forsake us. So we can be thankful for everything. Listen, you woke up this morning. If you know Jesus, you woke up this morning knowing Jesus. I mean, give your mind. Just think about that for a moment. You woke up this morning. Billions of other people did not wake up like you this morning knowing Jesus. You woke up knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. If there's nothing else going on in your life, you have that. That's cause for thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, that you saved me, that you have indwelt me, that you are filling me with your presence, that I'm benefiting from the the greatness of Jesus Christ in my life, and that when I die, you're taking me home for all eternity to live forever in joy in the presence of God. If we can't be thankful about that, then we maybe don't know Jesus We certainly aren't indwelt by the Spirit of God. Importantly, this attitude of thanksgiving, the indwelling of the Spirit, do you realize it chases sin away from our lives? Sin sin only attracts you when you've lost your sense of thanksgiving to God. When you've become somehow dissatisfied with Jesus, that's the only time sin is attractive. Sin isn't attractive if I'm attracted to Jesus. What did Paul say to the Romans? He said, the reason that you have such debauchery around you is that that although you knew God, you neither acknowledged him, worshipped him, nor were you grateful to him. When you stop thanking God, sin is crouching in your life, waiting to pounce on you because you are a target. You are open season. You are like a deer at hunting season, standing in the meadow, eating broadsided to Pastor Calvin with his gun, broadsided, enjoying some grass in the field. That's what you're like when you're unthankful. Finally, submitting to one another. A lot of people stop the the, the thing there and they, they forget about this, but submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. Spirit filled people are completely convinced that they are not the master of their life. The living Christ is. This word submitting means arrange yourselves underneath each other. It's a very, very illustrative word. Arrange yourselves underneath each other. Does that mean it negates leadership? No, but it's a certain kind of leadership. It's a Christian kind of leadership. It's a discipleship kind of leadership. Arrange yourself under each other. That's what filled with the spirit people do. Now, this is, by the way, far superior to equality. Far superior. Equality is all about seeking my equal rights. And I don't necessarily seek my equal rights out of love. In fact, I don't have to love to seek my equal rights. In fact, I probably don't love to seek my equal rights. I just want my rights. No, no, this is, I'm willingly submitting. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not chirping about my rights. I'm willingly submitting myself under each other. And the only way I'm going to do that is out of love. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit moves us. Moves us to submit to one another. And then we won't take the time, but he goes on and says, This works in your houses. Wives submitting to husbands. Husbands submitting to love their wives sacrificially to to their own death. Children willingly obeying their parents. Fathers of households making certain they don't discourage their children away from Christ. On the marketplace, employees realizing they serve the Lord Christ. Christian owners and business leaders realizing that they are serving Christ as they serve their employees. These are spirit-filled people who are filled with God's spirit in the fear of Christ. In other words, any different way of living is out of sync with, with what Jesus has for you and out of the will of God. So, dearly beloved, as we wrap this up, stop making excuses for being grouchy and crabby and grumpy and sinful and empty 
If you know Jesus, you have already been given everything you need. The only thing left for you to do is to benefit fully from the resources of having the indwelling spirit of Christ in your life. And Jesus throws the mantle to you and says, it's now, now it's, it's up to you. I, I, will, I will control you. I will influence your life. I will change you. I will grow you. But you must make certain choices in your life to deny yourself, to confess sin, to pick up your Bibles and read, to enrich your heart with Scripture and prayer, to think about me all the time, to consider me in every decision that you make, to say yes to everything I've commanded you to do and to say no to everything I've commanded you not to do. If you're not prepared to take up that mantle, then you will never experience the full benefits of Jesus Christ in your life, ever. And you will be living a constant life of disobedience to the Lord. Dissatisfaction and frustrations in your Christian walk. So, Paul simply says, this is a command of the Lord for you. Be continually filled with the Spirit. Our Father, your word is powerful. It, it reaches deep. We have this morning been given a mirror to look at and um, maybe it's made us angry. Maybe it's made us sad. Maybe it's made us confused. Maybe, Lord, it's made us convicted. Maybe it's made us thankful. I, I don't know what reaction your people have person to person, Lord, but you do. My prayer, because I love these people, and I know you love them even more, is that we all would be filled with the Spirit. That we all would experience the full benefits of Jesus' indwelling presence in our lives. So, Lord, would you cause our hearts to be moved to want more, to not be satisfied unless we are living filled with the Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul after he gave the great treatise on theology and in the first three chapters of Ephesians, spent the next three chapters outlining what it looks like to really live out what we believe. And right in the center of all of that is this incredible little imperative, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, it's a command, therefore it's easy for me to say, yeah, we've, we've got to do this. But even as a command, we've got to ask the Lord to move in our hearts to want this. And it's going to require certain things, as he points out. Not living unwise, making sure you're opportunistic with your time. If your time is spent in everything but Jesus, it's hardly likely that you're going to be filled with him. It's making sure we know what the Lord's will is. And the only way you can really find out what the Lord's will is, is make sure you know the word of God. God tells you what his will is in his word. We've got to make sure that there are no substances that are controlling our life and taking us away from Jesus. We've got to make sure that there's no sin and bitterness and rebellion and unforgiveness and all those kinds of things that we let crowd into our life that, are, that make 
Jesus uncomfortable, to say the least. Twelve men back in Jesus' time were so discouraged to hear he was leaving. He said, I'm not leaving you an orphan. I'm going to give you my spirit. He will be in you. And I will come to you in that spirit. Those 12 men filled with the spirit accomplished ministry of epic proportions that has resulted in what we see here today. I got thinking about my life and all your life and thinking, what would it be like if 1,500 people, 1,500 of us got filled with the Spirit and continually maintained our passion for the filling of the Spirit in our lives? What kind of epic, glorious ministry would happen in Oshawa and Durham region? So, as we launch out in this new season of discipleship, it couldn't be a better place to start. But it's up to you, up to me individually with the Lord. Go home, take a look in the mirror and say, Lord, what of those areas need something different? That I might be a person filled with the Holy Spirit benefiting from all that Jesus has for us because of his presence that he promised. Father, that's, that's my prayer. I, I hope that a whole bunch of people are joining me. Hope our congregation joins with this great desire in our heart that Calvary be filled with the Holy Spirit. It would shake Durham region. It would literally shake Durham region. It would shake our province. It would shake our country. If one church like ours, whole scale, filled with the Spirit. What a great vision, Lord. Would you do it for us? Would you, would you do it here, Lord? Would you make it happen, I pray? Each of us doing our part. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.